Stevendorf out of Oak Hill Academy in Virginia. Prior to that, from Bay City, Michigan, he's a tough guy. He will go in there, take the hits. We've seen him over and over again. Dribble into traffic, not only score, but also find people. And he is quite an addition to that starting lineup. He's fearless. He's got some skill to go with it. Here comes Syracuse again. Devendorf switches hands, lays it in. He's a big-time driver. He can really attack. He's up to the last. Devendorf pulls up for three. Devendorf, great drive and the finish by Roberts. What a play by Devendorf. Zeller blocked from behind by Devendorf. The confidence of Devendorf handling the basketball and penetrating. That time pulling up for the mid-range jump. But Devendorf, who doesn't seem afraid of anything. Devendorf looks like with his moves and his confidence, he can get inside anytime he wants to. Well, he's got the size and he's got the handle. And now we know he's got the heart. Devendorf on the drive, scoops it up and in. Devendorf got a little of that city game yes, in. Yes, he does. <laughs> Devendorf gets a good look. It's a three. On to Devendorf, 25-footer, left side, yes, yes. Devendorf ties the game with 14 seconds left. How about the of a freshman, Eric Devendorf. Devendorf at the buzzer. What's up everybody, Not My House is in the house today. This is your host Eric and as always right next to me is my co-host Zach. Zach, what's going on this morning my friend? I'm doing good man. I'm pumped for our guest today. This is somebody who's a fearless competitor, one of my favorite college basketball players of all time and I just can't wait to hear a little bit more about his story. Oh absolutely. You're gonna you're gonna remember this guy from his days of playing at Syracuse and that six overtime thriller against UConn. He went on to have a great career overseas and is a member of Bayheim's army in the TBT, Mr. Eric Devendorf. How are you doing today, sir? Good, fellas. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on the show. We'd like to get to know a little bit about our guests before we start talking basketball. Can you tell us what it was like growing up in Michigan and what was your childhood like? Yeah, so I mean, I'm from a little city in Michigan, uh, Bay City, Michigan. So um, it's the Tri-Cities, Bay City, Saginaw, Flint, Midland. Um, so grew up there, spent a lot of time back and forth from Detroit, um, had a lot of good friends and, and family there. Um, but I was always a basketball guy. I mean, I remember, you know, my dad put the ball in my hands probably seven, eight years old. And um, from then on, it was every single day. You know, that's what I love to do. I remember carrying the ball to school, uh, you know, having it at lunchtime and, um, you know, I'd miss all the extracurricular activities with my friends because I was, you know, I was always playing basketball. So if you wanted to, you know, hang out, you, you have to find me on the court or outside in the driveway. So um, had a great childhood growing up. Um, you know, it was it was mostly all ball. You know, I played sports, all sports until uh, probably like fourth grade. And then I had to make a decision, um, you know, with AAU basketball starting up um, that I was going to take up a lot of my time. So I think from fourth grade on, it was it was just strictly basketball. And um, where I'm from in Bay City, it's a little town. So you don't have a lot of, you know, high level athletes come out, come out of that area. Um, if you go to Saginaw and Flint, you got a lot of guys, um, you know, I can name Jason Richardson, Charles Rogers, uh, Anthony Roberson, and then obviously Flint with Glenn Rice, Trent Tucker, and, and you know, Andre Rising, you could go on for, for a while. So, um, yeah, I was kind of the, um, the big time guy to come out of Bay city, I guess, you know, um, and growing up, it was, I, you know, I had a lot of notoriety, um, you know, through the game and, um, you know, pretty blessed, man. It's, it's took me a lot of places and, um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm always repping Michigan. Even though I'm in Cuse, I'm always uh, I'm always repping Michigan in my hometown for sure. Yeah, and I mean, sports is a big deal in Michigan, especially when you're a kid with Michigan State and you know the Fab Five and the Pistons. So, I mean, who were some of your idols growing up, or maybe some of the guys that you really studied and tried to emulate your game after? So, uh, my, my favorite player of all time growing up was uh, was Allen Iverson. You know, I think just just how he played, how he um, left it all out there on the court. One of the biggest hearts, one of the littlest guys, but the biggest hearts. You know, he. Uh, he threw his body out there and, uh, you know, six foot 170 soaking wet. Um, and for a guy to go in there with no fear, I just tried to emulate that. You know? And, you know, throughout my career, um, you know, I was a guy who was fearless going to the basket, um, you know, talking a little trash and, um, you know, things like that. But um, he was one guy that really stuck out to me. Obviously, uh, MJ, you know, he was in the greatest of all time in my mind. But AI was a guy who I really um, loved to watch and, you know, because I could relate to him a little bit more. You know, I, I wasn't the most athletic guy, the biggest guy, the strongest guy. Um, and, and AI was a guy, despite his, you know, uh, super long arms, you know, which I don't have. It's uh, uh, a guy that I could relate to a little bit. And, um, you know, I tried to emulate my style of play after him. Yeah, and I could definitely see that as far as approach and your mentality. I mean, you guys both had a big heart when you guys played, so that definitely makes a lot of sense. And uh, I wanted to ask if you could walk us through maybe your high school experience um, and what it was like for you, because I know that you averaged like 30 when you were a junior in high school. So what were those early years like? And when did you realize that, you know, I'm one of the best players in the nation? Well, really, it was early for me. Like I said, I, I started, um, you know, really locking in probably fourth grade. I was playing AAU um, with the eighth grade team in the fourth grade. Um, so I was always playing to level up and you know, by the time I got to middle school, there was a little, uh, you know, buzz about me in, in basketball um, in the area. Um, like I said, it wasn't too many guys who were, you know, really good coming out of the area, you know, basketball wise. So when I got to seventh and eighth grade, um, a lot of buzz. And then by the time I got to ninth grade, I played, I think I played three or four games on JV. Um, and I averaged like 47 in those first games. And after, after that, they moved me up to varsity um, as a freshman. Uh, hit the hit the game winning shot the first game on varsity, um, and then from then on my confidence was kind of through the roof. Um, you know, my freshman and sophomore year I think I was averaging like twenty four, and um, in between those years, you know, the summer times when AAU was going on and it really picked up for me. Uh, and then going into my junior year, like you said, I was I was averaging like 30, 34 points, and um, for my last year of high school, um, I transferred and went to Oak Hill, um, where we were number one in the country. Um, that year, you know, playing with guys like Ty Lawson, Kevin Durant, um, Jamont Gordon, uh, Bamba Fall. You know, we had like eight, nine Division One guys. So um, for me, it, it was a great experience because, you know, I was always the man, you know, where I'm from. Um, and I had a lot of success on the AAU circuit as well. You know, I was, um, you know, one of the top players in the country. But going to Oak Hill, um, you know, seeing a guy that's 6'10", dribbling the ball. I mean, we see it every day now, it seems like. But back then. Um, you know, when I walked in the gym, seeing KD, you know, dribble, shoot like a point guard like me, I'm like, wow, it was, it was pretty amazing. And um, it really prepared me, um, you know, for going into college, you know, just the traveling and the competition day in and day out. I mean, we were beating teams by, you know, 50, 60 points. Um, you know, the game, the, the practices were more competitive than the games. You know what I mean? Just the, that's just the talent that we had um, at Oak Hill. So. I'm super grateful for that opportunity to play there. And it really changed the whole trajectory of my career, you know, as far as uh, my confidence and 
um, knowing that I can play with anyone because, you know, that team right there, and I'll say it again, I said it before, but I'll say it again. It's, you know, we could have competed with, you know, with some college teams at that time. That's how much talent we had. So, um, yeah, I definitely had a, um, an interesting high school career as far as, you know, um, traveling and experiencing different things. Um, and then again, a kid coming from Bay city, it's, you know, 30,000 kids, 30,000 people in Bay city. So, you know, we're not really used to that type of stuff. Um, so I was pretty blessed to be able to get out, um, and experience things early, um, which I think really helped me, you know, going forward. I think it's an interesting question for our listeners because I don't think a lot of listeners understand how this works, but how did you get introduced to the idea of going to Oak Hill? I mean, how did you and your family really come together and come to that conclusion? Like, Hey, Oak Hill is going to be the best thing for you because I mean, Virginia is a long way from Michigan. And I mean, that must've been basically like your first taste of going away from college. So, I mean, how thick skin do you have to be to really do well in that kind of environment, especially with those intense practices with all those great players and coaching, like you said? Yeah, well, it was tough. I mean, I, I didn't have the greatest grades at, time, at the time. I mean, I probably could have stuck around and um, finished it out at, at public school. Um, but I remember that summer in AAU, we played down at the Bob Gibbons, um, which is one of the top um, AAU tournaments in, in the country. And I remember we played, we were playing at Cameron Indoor and the coaches from Oak Hill were there watching the game. And I think my AAU coach was already in contact with them before. Um, but after that game, um, they came up to my coach and, and, you know, told him, hey, if he wants to come here, you know, the offer's on the table. So uh, really that's how it worked out. And then uh, at that time, Oak Hill being, you know, the best basketball school in the country. Uh, and still to this day, you know, probably one of the, it's, if, if you ask me, um, historically, it's the greatest high school basketball school of all time. So um, when my coach broke it down to me and let me know, you know, what type of school it was, um, you know, it was a no brainer. And obviously it was a transition. Um, you know, I was 16 going away from my family. I, I kind of experienced it already with the AAU and traveling and being away and things like that. Um, you know, but again, being from a small town, you know, having a close knit family and always being there for me, it was a transition. And then you go to uh, Oak Hill where it's on the side of a mountain really. And, you know, you wake up, you got cows and, and goats and everything like that. Um, so it, it, it was a experience to say the least. And I remember when, you know, when you got in trouble, you had to go throw hay, you know, that was kind of, that was, that was your punishment, but, um, being at Oak Hill, it was strictly ball. You know, we woke up, uh, we had our workouts, you know, we go check in at the, uh, at the church before school, do school, homework, practice, come back, shoot later. And that's how it was on repeat every single day. Um, but, but again, it really helped me prepare for what was to come. And, you know, I, you know, playing with those guys, I mean, who would have thought, you know, this dude, Kevin Durant was going to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Um, and, you know, I can look back and um, think about a lot of memories, just playing two on two in the gym. Like this guy was, you know, always hitting me up, like, Hey, let's go shoot. Let's go, um, you know, let's go lift or whatever it may be. I mean, his work ethic from day one was, um, you know, above everyone else's, you know what I mean? So you could see how he got there and, and where he is today. Um, but that experience at Oak Hill um, was an unbelievable experience, man. Uh, it, like I said, it, it helped me going forward. And then I'm still in touch with those guys today. I still talk to Coach Smith. Um, and I actually got to give me give him my uh, my Syracuse jersey so he can put it up there, uh, put it up there in the gym. I want to be up there with, with some of the greats. It's a lot of the a lot of guys that came through that gym, if, you know, it's a, it's a gym where it holds probably 150 people, um, you know, but when you go in there, it opens up and you see these jerseys on the wall, like Rajon Rondo, Josh Smith, 
uh, Steven Jackson. I mean, you know, those are just some Ron Mercer, Ross Strickland. You know, it's it's unbelievable to even think about um, being able to be a part of that. And I think when I was young, I didn't really think of it like that. But now that I look back, it's like, man, pretty, pretty unbelievable family to be a part of. So um, going to Oak Hill definitely, you know, helped me out in, in every single way. You know, it's really surprising that, like you said, only holds 150 people, you were saying. It's crazy that yeah. you expand on that gym because of all of the, you know, amazing players that have come from, from the, you know, that school. You would think that you guys would be drawing enormous crowds to have more people there. Is it, I mean, do they have plans, do you think, to make it a bigger gym? Or is it just, that's just the way it is and that's just the way it's going to be? I think that's just a part of Oak Hill and how it is and kind of the folklore of it. Right. I mean, uh, we're 45 minutes to an hour away from everything, uh, McDonald's gas station, whatever it is. So, uh, the people who are coming to watch the game are the students who go there. Um, and then, you know, you have your surrounding, um, neighbors or whatever it may be. Um, and those, and it's not a lot, you know what I mean? So you, you might have people come travel from, you know, 45 minutes to come watch the games, but then you got a, a lot of people traveling from outside. Um, whether it be, um, you know, recruiting analysts or just people who want to experience that Oak Hill, because when you go in there, you'd be like, dang, this is it. Um, but, but it, you know, when you hear about it, you're expecting something big and, and huge, but it's not even like that, man. It's most of the, most of the fans are students. And, um, you know, when these teams came in, um, the, the opposing teams, they probably expected something different too, but, you know, whenever they came in the gym, they ended up leaving with like a 40 point loss. So, um, that, that, that little gym right there has a lot of history in it, man. A lot of unbelievable players. I mean, I remember coach Smith used to take us to his house and just watch old tapes of the old teams watching like Jerry Stackhouse, and, uh, Ron Mercer and, and guys like that. Rashad Carruth. I don't know if you remember that name went to Kentucky, um, shoot the lights out. So, uh, man, the history in that gym, regardless of the size, it's, it's so much history. Um, and like I said, it's, uh, the greatest, you know, high school, college, or high school basketball school, you know, ever. I, I got another quick question. I'm a, I'm a musician and I got, I've been lucky enough to play some really famous places um, across the country. Do you, did you get that vibe being in that gym? Like, could you feel that energy from like how historic that place was? So now it's definitely different. You know, I think back then, and just being a kid, you're not really thinking like that. You're just thinking like, I, I'm the man, shit. I'm trying to do, you know, what these guys are doing, you know? So uh, didn't really have that mindset. But now looking back on all that stuff, you know, what a cool thing to have done um, and, and be in that gym with those people, being coached by Coach Smith, one of the greatest coaches of all time, regardless of uh, level, high school, college, bro, whatever it is, um, to be able to bring all those talented guys in every single year, each year and control those egos. That's a lot, man. Cause you bring it in all McDonald's, all Americans, you know what I mean? We had, you know, myself, Tom Lawson, Kevin Durant and Jamont Gordon. Those were four McDonald's all Americans right there, you know? And um, then you add in Casey Rivers who went to Clemson. Um, and he's having a, a, a real successful overseas career. So, you know, we had, we had a lot of players, man. And, um, you know, pretty fortunate to be a part of that family. And like I said, we still keep in touch today. You know, I'll talk to coach, you know, um, over Twitter or Instagram or something like that. And, um, and then the players who come after us, um, you know, you talk about, I remember talking with Dorian Lamb, Dorian Lamb, who went to Kentucky and played with the Bucks for a little bit. And that's just that, that Oak Hill connection that, that we have. So um, it's same thing as Syracuse, man. It's a, it's a big family and 
um, you know, these guys always support each other. So it's pretty cool to have that bond. That's awesome. Speaking of Syracuse, I wanted to talk to you about the recruiting process. I'm assuming a ton of colleges were knocking down your door. Um, maybe a lot of people thought you might be going to Michigan State or Michigan. Um, what was that recruiting process like? Was there any number twos that were close for you to go to besides Syracuse? What sold you on Syracuse? Well, yeah, you kind of let them go and, and do their thing. Um, so after seeing that game, I remember telling my AAU coach, like, man, we're going to have to rethink, you know, this this thing at Michigan State. I might have to open up and see what's going on with Syracuse. Um, so I remember him, he called up to Syracuse uh, next that next week, I believe. Um, and, and it was like, hey, he's going to, you know, decommit for Michigan State. Are you guys interested? Um, and they flew down to Detroit that next week, where that's where we had our AAU practices. And after the practice, they offered me a scholarship right there. It was Coach Beheim and uh, Troy Weaver, who is now the general manager of the Detroit Pistons. Um, and they asked me, do I want to go? And I was like, yeah, no, it's a no brainer. They're like, well, hey, you're here, you're, you're a Q's guy. So uh, it was tough, man, because, you know, I was the top player in, in Michigan at the time. And, um, you know, being a top player in your state, you, you know, they want you to keep you in state, either Michigan or Michigan state. Um, and both great schools, you know, coaches are obviously a Hall of Fame coach. Um, and I had great relationships with those guys up there. Alan Anderson, Calvin Torbert at the time, Shannon Brown. I was up there every single weekend. It's only like an hour and 15 minutes from my house. Um, but when I saw Q's play, man, it was just it fit my style of play. It fit how I wanted to play going forward. And um, yeah, the rest is history, man. It was if I wouldn't have went to that game in Breslin, um, then I would probably be a Michigan State Spartan. So um, I'm happy I went and I'm happy the way it worked out. Well, the other thing, too, is like both those schools like, you know, Michigan State, Michigan are also known for football and Syracuse is really a basketball school, you know, um, and, and there's so much history. I mean, Bayheim being there forever. You know, what what's what's some of the things that you can talk to us about with his character and how he connects with his players? Because, I mean, he's been there forever coaching. So what's what's his secret that allows him to still be current and connect with all these classes that come in decade after decade. Yeah, it is, Syracuse is considered a basketball school, but you, it, it really was a football school. Uh, if you think we Syracuse, if you look it up, has the most um, some I think top three Hall of Famers ever. But you know, most Hall of Famers to be in the NFL came from Syracuse. So Floyd Little, Ernie Davis. Um, you know, Jim we talk Brown. about the new school. Hey, Jim Bright, I'm missing the the number one guy. Jim Brown, Art Jones, Chandler Jones. I mean, you go down the line. So um, Syracuse, obviously now it's kind of been down, but before I got there, it was, it was pretty successful, but um, yeah, I mean, just having a coach at, at one program for it seems like 77 years, um, <laughs> we have that commonality between each other, you know, all the players. And, uh, you know, I remember the first time I met Derek Coleman and, and Billy Owens, Sherm Douglas, guys like that. It was like knowing each other for 10 years, you know what I mean? And that's, uh, that's the Syracuse family in a nutshell. You know, everyone supports each other, um, you know, young and old. Like right now, I'm, you know, watching these guys, working these guys out, supporting these guys right now and trying to just give them tips and, and things like that. But we're, we're so close knit as a family. Um, I don't care if you haven't met anyone. And, and Coach, it's it's because of Coach Behan. Like he makes it like that. And he's he's a guy who's not going to say a whole lot. Right. He just expects you to, to get the job done. And he runs it like an MBA the NBA team, you know, he's going to give you the freedom. He's not going to give you curfews and, and a whole bunch of rules and things like that. Um, 
and 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 for a lot of guys it can it can be either sink or swim you know what i mean because um you have all that freedom um and, and now it's up to you to make those choices and, and those decisions and i went through my time where i didn't make the best decisions but um i'm grateful because i learned from those and, and coach gave me that freedom to make those mistakes and, and learn from them and i think a lot of coaches can kind of be so rigid and and structured to where um you feel like you're in a box um and, and, and coach really gives all his players the freedom and he's going to let you know he's going to keep it 100 like if you know if you can go get a bucket and make a play for yourself others he's going to let you do that he's going to make you let you make a few mistakes and and play through play through that if you can't He's going to let you know and he's going to put you on the bench, you know, and if you're not doing what doing that in practice, how am I going to let you do it in the game? You haven't proved anything. And I think a lot of guys, um, you know, they don't really understand that, you know, with a lot of guys having that much freedom can um, can almost be a bad thing, I guess. You know what I mean? Because they're not they're not used to they're used to that structure and and, and things like that. So uh, everything has its pros and cons. But uh, I, I think coach, he he, uh, you know, let it be your decision, your choices, whatever you were going to do with your career was up to you, you know, and um, I'm thankful for coaching. And even to this day, like he's there whenever you need him. I could text him and ask him some advice. I texted him the other day and about something. He's like, fuck, no, you're, you shouldn't do that. You know what I mean? Just like, <laughs> you know, he, he's a guy that you can always reach out to. And, um, and he's a guy that is, he's the, the Syracuse. I mean, that's him. He's Syracuse. You know what I mean? And without him, I don't think we would all have this type of commonality between each other. Um, and it's pretty cool to have that, man. I mean, yeah, I'm real good friends with Derek Coleman and Billy Owen, Roosevelt Bowie. Like these are big time names that um, if you're a Syracuse fan, not even a Syracuse fan, just a basketball fan in general, um, you know, you'd be pretty hyped to meet these guys. So uh, pretty lucky and fortunate to, you know, be a part of that, that family. Yeah, it's an amazing culture. I think I read somewhere that Bayheim was roommates of Dave Bing to give our listeners an idea of how long he's been there. So it's really cool that you have uh, two programs that you came out of, like Oak Hill and Syracuse is so much, you know, tradition. That's awesome. And uh, one of the guys I wanted to ask you about is GMAC. I mean, he's one of my favorite players out of Q's. Uh, from a viewer's standpoint, I always felt his leadership, so it made him such a great player. I think you're a freshman his senior year. So what did he teach you specifically that you carried throughout your career? And how hard would you say that he pushed you in practice? Yeah, GMAC, one of my really close friends. Uh, I just spoke to him the other day. We keep in touch all the time. And um, yeah, I was a freshman his senior year coming in. And, you know, we're both the same type of guys. Yeah, the same mindset, the both like getting at you, killer mindset. And um, that's why we work so well together. You know, when I made a mistake, he was like, man, fuck that, let's get up and let's do let's go right back at him like he, he he was there for me um you know when I maybe didn't believe in myself even though I, I always believe in myself but when, you know freshman years you have those ups and downs he was always there to pick me up and like man we ain't worried about that let's let's get through it let's continue to go and um yeah we I mean we go at each other in practice um you know in the games if I missed him he'd yell at me he'd let me know man you got why are you looking over there I'm right here like regardless if that guy's open and he's open, you know, it's, I better get that ball to him. So, um, man, such a, uh, unbelievable friendship that we, um, have continued to grow on throughout the years. And, um, my freshman year was special, man. You know, when we were able to go on that run in the big East tournament, four games and in, in four days and, you know, all those shots that he was making, um, you know, besides the six OT game, you know, that, that run right there was probably, 
um, what really sticks out in my mind um, in my Syracuse career, uh, you know, being a freshman, you know, playing against those guys. I mean, we were playing against, you know, um, we played UConn number one in the country with, they had seven pros. And then we played, um, you know, we played Cincinnati first with James White, Devin Downey. Then we played UConn with like Josh Boone, Rudy Gay and all them. And then we ended up playing, um, Georgetown and Pittsburgh. So like those were the real big East years, you know what I mean? So, um, and, and I feel that even going against those teams, like our backcourt was just up there with anyone. Like we had the top backcourt in the country, one of the top backcourts in the country. And, um, it was all mindset, like two fiery white dudes just getting after you, you know what I mean? On the court. And, um, man, I love that guy. He's, and he's, that's how he is with coaching. I think. And, and that's how I'm as well. Like our approach is that type of mindset with these guys. And, uh, I think even, you know, sometimes, you know, nowadays these kids can be missing that they're so talented, a lot of talented kids out there, but the mindset is what really separates you. Um, are you hungry enough to want it? Are you just out there and there's no friends out there? You know what I mean? You're out there to compete and play hard. And, you know, those are, that's the mindset and qualities that, that GMAC and myself had playing together. Yeah. I mean, GMAC was fiery. And I just loved how Coach Beheim had his back, you know, when the media was all over him. You know, Beheim stood by his point guard, you know, with the overrated, with the question mark shirt, things like that. Like, I mean, he's, he's truly one of my favorite accused uh, point guards, you know, outside of yourself, obviously. But uh, I'm glad you brought that six overtime game. And I'm sure somebody asks you every time they recognize you. But I mean, you played 61 minutes in the garden. I mean, do you even remember that game after playing in that? And uh, I mean, what can you tell us about that night and just how exhausting that was, but also how special of a night that was? Oh, I definitely can remember that for sure. I remember <laughs> uh, a lot, a lot of different moments. And, you know, at the night after the game, after that, we went into another overtime. So we really played seven overtimes, you know, we went into overtime of West Virginia the next day. Um, but I mean, it was all set up for some special, you know, Big East tournament, Madison Square Garden, New York City. Like that was the best tournament of all time. I don't care what anyone says. Like now that it's being played in Barclays, it's not the same. You know, that, and, and it's even if it is played in Madison Square Garden, it's not the same Big East. Like that Big East was like, that's what everyone was tuning into. Like, I don't care what other conference tournaments was on. You were watching that Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden. And it was Syracuse, UConn. Uh, that rivalry right there. And then you had Calhoun and Bayheim, and it started with them because they already had that little bit of tension in between, you know, between each other. And then you had those individual matchups like uh, myself, AJ Price. And then you had Johnny Flynn, Kemba Walker. He was a young Kemba Walker. Um, you know, AO with the beat, Jeff Adrian. Um, you know, so it was so many um, storylines in the game. And then, um, you know, obviously, like I said, biggest tournament, Madison Square Garden, ESPN. You know, it's like you're you're in a big stage with the lights, how they're on you. And I just remember going back and forth the whole game. You know, we're doing our chirping and things like that. And um, and, and then uh, obviously I hit that shot at the end of the game. And, you know, I obviously I thought it count because I wouldn't have turned around and jumped on the table if it didn't. Um, but uh, it just just, you know, pure emotion and, and uh, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve, you know. So that's um, that's what it was. It wasn't planned or anything. Turn got up said what I said, you know, showboated for a little bit. Um, and then they waved it off, had to come back down to reality. And I remember coach in the huddle was just like, all right, let's, let's go out there and do it again. You know what I mean? And then we had coach Hopkins, uh, who's now the head coach at Washington, who was as fiery as they come. And I just remember him coming at me and just, you know, putting his head in my chest and just like, he, he does some crazy stuff, but uh, <laughs> he probably was like rubbing his head on my chest or something like that. And, just to get me back going like, man, fuck that. Let's, we're not worried about that. Let's go next, you know? And, 
Um, so one overtime, two overtime, three overtime, huge shots made. Andy Brown's getting shots at the end of the, um, you know, fourth and fifth overtime. And uh, I think I fouled out in maybe the end of the fourth or the fifth. Um, but I mean, you know, we had, you know, Johnny Flynn who played unbelievable. You know, he was probably the best. Um, and, and shout out to GMAC. GMAC is unbelievable. But as far as like from a talent and athletic ability and just everything, like Johnny possessed it all. Like he was probably the best guard I ever played with. And people don't understand if he would have got, if he wouldn't have got hurt and stayed healthy, he would have been in the NBA right now, big time, big time guard. Like he would have been multiple all-stars, especially how the game is this, this time around. Like how it's played now. Like he would have fit right in. He was that type of guy. Um, unfortunate injury with that Bo Jackson type injury in his hip, I think. But um, yeah, that six overtime game. I, I just remember after, um, you know, after the game, coaches in the locker room and just didn't really say anything. You know, he wasn't really. He was just kind of like, whew, like a sigh of relief. Kind of, he let out a sigh of relief, and he was just like, man, I'm proud of you guys. Like this is a unbelievable game to be a part of. Um, this is history, and, and then it was history because I remember. You know, going back to the hotel after the game, it was an instant classic right away. You know, it was, it was an instant classic when we were watching it till, you know, I don't know what time, but uh, got in the ice bath right away. <laughs> Next day, get up in the morning, do our stretches and go to the weight room in the hotel and, and get ready again against West Virginia. Like I said, another overtime with Deshaun Butler and Devin Ebanks and Truck Brian and guys like that. So, you know, it didn't get any easier, but we were able to come out on top of that one as well. And, and then I think we, we ended up losing to Louisville uh, in the championship and they had an unbelievable team as well. So that whole tournament was special, man. And obviously the six OT was, was the topper, but um, yeah, that group that year was special, man. We had some talented guys and um, it was, it was pretty fun to be a part of. You know, I remember watching that game and it was, it was an amazing game to watch and, and you're right. Instant classic right away. And obviously I don't think there's many people that get to play in a six overtime game. Um, the question I have, and especially for our listeners or younger listeners that play ball, how, how do you get through a six overtime game? Because it always seems like you play overtime and some teams go to two overtimes. Right. And then it's like, all right, who's got that mindset to push through? Like we've been talking about mindset earlier in, in the show. How do you have that mindset to push through too? But then it's like, it doesn't seem like it ends, I'm assuming, right? Then it's like the third, then the fourth, then the fifth. And it's like, how do you how do you push through that to win that actual game? And it doesn't feel like, this, like when's the seesaw going to end? Or do you remember a certain play in that game where you knew you guys were going to win? Well, it really didn't. Well, obviously, we, we couldn't lose the UConn. You know, going that far, doing all that, that was our rival. Uh, we, we couldn't go out like that. We're basically at home, right? I mean, UConn's right down the block, but Madison Square Garden was always all orange, you know? So we were at home. We were looking at all those factors coming into play. Um, and, and then we had a group of guys who just loved the hoop. I mean, like, we could have played another game. I mean, that's just how we were. We were in shape. I think anything, it was just the mental exhaustion, right? Just knowing like, damn, when, when will we, when was this game going to end? When are we going to get, you know, get this victory? I think it was probably like the fifth OT. I mean, Andy hit a big shot and then I think it kind of separated us a little bit more. And um, then Johnny started hitting some free throws. And um, I think we ended up winning by 10. It was 126, 116, I believe. So really not until like that fifth OT. Yeah, you know, did we really, you know, at the end of that fifth OT, um, no, matter of fact, it was, the, it was really the six. 
you know, because Andy hit a big shot to tie it to go back in, I believe. And then we got into the six, and then we started stretching it out a little bit more. I was I was fouled out of the game by then, but it was the whole game, like, back and forth. It wasn't really a moment until the very end to where we knew, like, all right, damn, we're, we're safe now. And like I said, we couldn't have lost to UConn. Like, every anytime you hear uh, people talking about the 6 OT game, you never hear them talking about UConn. It's always about Syracuse because – you kind of lost, you know, and they don't want to talk about the 6-0-T game either. You know, I mean, one of the greatest college basketball games of all time, in my mind, the greatest college basketball game of all time. And you end up on the losing end. You don't want to hear about that, you know. So um, pretty lucky that we won. And um, and like I said, everything was set up. Madison Square Garden, ESPN going against our rivals. So um, it was a pretty special game, man, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you make an excellent point about UConn. I never hear anybody talk about UConn. It's always cues. That's a really good point. Um, I I got to ask about the zone defense because obviously Syracuse and Bayheim is known for that zone defense. There's a lot of average fans out there who think zone defense is almost the easy way out of defense, kind of like a lazy defense. I'm a coach. I know that's not the case. How much film, effort, time – in, I mean, practice, do you guys put into that zone to really master that? And are there any secrets to it that you're able to share that make it so great? Well, I mean, the secret is you got to have the players who, who know how to play it. You know, obviously we recruit the athletes, the long, the athletic guys up top, um, you know, in the back who could, uh, you know, get a lot of space um, without having, with, who can cover a lot of space um, just from one side to another. And then, you know, you got to know the rules. It takes You can't just go in right away and figure out how to play it. It's going to take a little bit, a lot, a lot of trial and error. Um, you know, and, and when the rules are, when it goes into the high post, guards out to the shooters, forwards drop, uh, and then it's and then it's going to be one-on-one with, um, you know, with that center and that guy in the high post. So, um, you know, the biggest thing is you just got to be active in it. You got to be moving around. Um, when you start swinging that ball, um, that's when that athletic ability comes into play. You're able to cover space and be there for the shots. And, and a lot of times that's when, you know, offensively teams start settling and just shooting the first open shot. And you're playing into our hands because now we're playing the percentages, right? You're, you're going to find some teams who are hot and hit some shots like that. And that's when offensively you hope that, you know, you're on, you're on as well that game. But, um, you know, if that zone is moving and active, you can go back and look at um, some of the best zones team, zone teams. Like I think – the final four with Michael Carter Williams, like those guys up top, like six, seven and Brandon Trish, six, five, like it's tough to get by those guys, first of all. And then the biggest thing you try to get into the high post or short corner. I mean, we're so long and athletic. Those guys are getting deflections. So, um, and then we even this year, you, you saw it in the NCAA tournament, you know, teams have never played against that zone. They're thinking it's just a regular, you know, flat footed zone. It's not, it's, it's different rotations. You're bumping and getting back. We're trapping the short corner. You know, bring that weak side guy over under the rim so he can take that diver. It's a lot of, you know, different situations where, um, you know, we, we got something for that, you know, sort of speak. Right. So if you hit it like this, we're going to hit it like that. Um, and it's it can be effective, man. It's not it's not your regular two, three zone at all. But um, you have to have the guys work in it. You have to. Uh, it helps if you have that athletic ability. And even this year, we didn't have the best athletes at the top with Buddy and Joe. They're not guys who are going to. Um, jump off the charts to you as far as jumping and, and speed and things like that. But they knew how to play it. Um, they knew what angles to take. And um, if you don't have the athletes, um, you have to know how to play it. And, um, you know, it's it's worked for coach for what, you know, 46 years. And he's had so much success. I mean, 
he's the winningest coach of all time. I mean, regardless of what the NCAA says about, um, you know, taking all those wins away, he's, he has the most wins. He has over a thousand wins. And um, obviously the zone was a, a huge part of that. And it's cool to see that it still works. You know what I mean? After all yeah. these decades, it still works, you know, and, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Um, let's talk about the draft process for you. Uh, did you have any workouts? Did you expect to be drafted? Um, what's going through your head during that time? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I had, uh, two girls, so, so two baby girls when I was in college and, um, that was a big reason, uh, you know, why I left early. I did have one more year, my redshirt year, I could have came back. Uh, people always talk to me about that. He could have came back, broke the scoring record, all that. Yeah, I know. But at the time, that wasn't my mindset, right? Now, my mindset I had is totally different than when I was in college. I was a 21-year-old kid. You know, I was doing a lot of stuff. So, um, yeah, I had I had draft workouts probably for about 22 teams. Um, but you got to think I got in trouble that year um, off the court. So that definitely, you know, hindered my, my draft status and and things like that. Talent-wise, skill-wise, I knew I could play in the league. I just had a lot of other stuff going on. Um, but um, I'm fortunate and, and grateful to have gone through that process um, because it brought me to where I am today, you know, to be able to um, help these kids who are going through the same type of process and kind of give them some tips of, of what to look at and, and kind of how to approach it. Um, but it was, it was an awesome time, and I spent my time in Atlanta that summer uh, worked out with a lot of my guys from back home, um, you know, Wilson Chandler, Dar Tucker, went to DePaul, uh, and then a bunch of other guys who were, who were in the area at the time. Um, didn't get drafted, ended up going to the D-League for a little bit, and then overseas in New Zealand, um, Australia, which, which led me to uh, a pretty cool uh, overseas career where I got to experience a lot of different countries, um, Israel, Greece, um, Ukraine. I said Australia, New Zealand. Uh, I was in Italy, so... Um, you know, you can, you always want to try to look at the brighter side of things, right? You know, you, you always have to have that type of um, perspective and be optimistic. And um, man, that basketball took me around the world. You know, I was able to meet a lot of different people, um, you know, network and, and get a lot of different connections. And then at the same time, um, you know, learn different cultures. So um, it opened my mind, it broadened my mind. It, um, like I said, brought, brought me to where I am today. And um, without those experiences, without going through what I went through, um, you know, I wouldn't have been here. Yeah. And I mean, you talk about how that basketball is taking you all around the world. And I love asking this question because we always get a crazy answer out of this, but we talked to a lot of athletes who played overseas and they always have a crazy story, whether it's with the fans or traveling or in the game. So, I mean, I got to ask you, what's the craziest shit that you've seen playing overseas? Oh man, I was, I was in Ukraine. Ukraine was crazy, man. Eastern Europe. I remember, you know, we ride on, you know, trains across Ukraine, it'd be like a 16 hour train ride. You got one, you in a bunk, like a little room, you got a bunk here, a bunk here, and then a little space, and then a bunk here, a bunk here. And it felt like Anne Frank or something on the, <laughs> you know, on the train going to, I mean, it was crazy, man. This is a whole different world, Eastern Europe. You know, it's, uh, it's hardcore. It's, um, it's cold as shit. You know, it's like, it's a different world, man. But again, like those experiences um, help me, you know, be great, just little stuff, be grateful for where I, where I come from and, and be grateful to be able to learn um, about, you know, Ukraine and different cultures. And, um, and then being in Australia, like one of the greatest countries in the world, if you ask me in New Zealand, like I was able to experience those and, you know, go to practice and I'm, I'm going to the beach and doing recovery, you know? So 
Um, again, there was a lot of pros and cons, um, but I, I try to take everything from a, a positive mindset and, and look at it as that, you know, and, and it, it's helped me, man, because we can always nitpick and be like, hey, what's going wrong? This isn't, the food isn't good, whatever it is. And I tried to adjust and I tried to, um, you know, get used to the food or get used to the people or learn, learn a little bit of the language, you know what I mean? And um, that's helped me going forward in my life is just always trying to um, look at the good that I can get out of it. You know, it's in, in, in any situation, you can always get some good out of it. You know, whether it's you learned a lesson, I, I'm not going to do this again um, or, or whatever it may be. So uh, that's how I try to take things with me now um, with whatever I, I do. And being overseas um, has helped me with that. You know, it's, it's helped me um, have that type of mindset. Um, because it's, I was in Ukraine for eight months and it was like, damn near, you felt like you're in jail at times. You know what I mean? It's gray and dreary. You're away from home. You know, you don't do so. Sometimes I just go outside and walk the whole day. You know what I mean? After practice and just, um, you know, see new things. So I think that's helped me um, in my life now, you know, just, just being able to keep that open mindset and um, whatever comes your way, you just try to take the positive out of it. Yeah, silver linings are huge, and it's a great point you make. You were talking about adjustments just a second ago. Um, what do you think was that biggest adjustment? Was it the language, the culture, the style of play? Because you know we hear that the style of play is way different over there compared to here. What do you think that biggest adjustment was? Yeah, I think it'd probably just be you know the lifestyle. It's a little different, but again, I was open minded going on going over there. Um, you know, basketball wise basketball is basketball like I'm going to adjust if it's it's more half court overseas um you know if they're you getting transitioned they're following you they're not letting that happen um so I, I could adjust quickly to that as far as basketball that's that's nothing um uh, but I think just being away from your family like I said I had two girls so being away from my girls and you know having to FaceTime and do all that the time change you might not you might not get them um so you're missing the phone calls sometimes and um, it was tough, man. And you're by yourself a lot. You know what I mean? You know, you had teammates over there, but, um, you know, at night it's just you, you know what I mean? And, and like I said, that time difference, some people aren't answering the phone. It's you eight hours, you're eight hours ahead. Um, but again, um, it helped me like it, it, it built toughness into me, like mental toughness and, 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 uh, and character, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's always something that you're going to have to adjust to in life. It's always going to be some type of adversity. Like it, it depends on how you look at it. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm going to let this little thing, I'm not going to let this little thing, you know, um, have me curl up into a ball and not do anything with my life. You know, I'm going to try to attack it and see how I can maneuver around it and, and make the best of it. And, um, you know, that's why I try to do overseas. I try to meet more people, you know, meet people over there, learn the language. I had a family over there who would, um, take me and my teammates out to eat um, at, at one of their little uh, lake houses or whatever. And they're, you know, they don't speak any English. So, you know, just that experience, like coming from where I'm from, I'm, it's 30,000 people where I'm from. You know, I go back home, I, try, I tell people about what I'm doing. They can't even fathom it. You know what I mean? They haven't even been off the block or, or you know, or, or to the next city, uh, hour an hour away, you know? So what I'm telling them, I just was in Ukraine, bro. I was in Australia. So, you know, when I'm saying that type of stuff and, and then I look back to where, you know, coming from, I'm coming from like, damn, it's pretty cool, man. Like I, I'm able to see and do these type of things because we only live one life and, and you want to be be able to experience as much as you can, you know, and, and regardless of what goes on, good or bad, um, 
you have those experiences and those moments with you forever. So you can always look back on those and be like, damn, I made it through this. I'm here today. So now when something else comes up, um, you know, that lesson that, that I went through helps me with the next one, you know? So, um, yeah, just fortunate, man, to, to be able to go through all those experiences and have those. And I wouldn't be the type of guy I am now, now today. And, and, and like I said, my girls, I can share those experiences with my girls. Like they were able to come to Australia with me at a really young age. Probably don't remember a lot, but, you know, even to be able to go over there and experience that, um, it's pretty special for a kid. So, yeah, man, just just thankful. Yeah. And I, I love that you went through those experiences because what you're doing today in the community is like really awesome, which I'm going to ask you about in a second, just with all the great stuff that you're doing with your donations and everything. But before I ask that, I wanted to ask about the TBT really quick. Um, we love the TBT. How did Bayheim's Army really come together? And do you remember when you first heard about the TBT? Because we had Mike Iliano on, the GM of Team 23, and he didn't think it was real at first. So what was your uh -huh. first impression of TBT, and what do you love about it so much? Well, I mean, I love TBT just because how it's, it's structured. The people behind it are great people. They do a great job with it. Uh, I was actually in New Zealand when I heard about it first. So Kevin Belby, the guy who does it, runs it for us, our GM, he reached out to me. He's like, hey, they're, they're doing a tournament where, you know, for $1 million, you know, let's get a squad together. I'm like, damn, that's sounds pretty cool. Like it's a lot of money on the line right there. I'm sure it's going to, um, you know, get a lot of attract, get a lot of attraction from people. Um, so I remember that first year I couldn't do it because I was overseas, but that next year I did it. Um, had a blast just being, you know, first of all, just being able to get, get back with all these guys that either you played with or you grew up watching, you know, at Syracuse was awesome to me. You know, I, you know, I got to play with Akeem Warwick, um, you know, I got to Lawrence Moulton was my coach. I mean, he's the all time least course in Big East history. Just recently, Marcus Howard broke it. But um, and again, going back to that family, right? Like Syracuse is one huge family. So it's like we played together for, for 20 years, even though, you know, we played on separate in different eras. So uh, super, super special, you know, from that standpoint. And then um, as far as like the competition, it's you know, it's the best level of competition besides the NBA. You know, you're getting guys who used to play in the league, you know, guys who are playing high, high level Euro league. Um, I mean, you see numerous guys get, um, get picked up from the league after playing in this or, you know, go sign a big contract overseas. So um, the TBT has done a great job and every year it seems to grow a little bit more and more and you see more teams getting involved. It's getting more competitive. Even last year, you know, having, you know, COVID being in the bubble, they did a great job of making sure everybody was good and still keeping it competitive. Um, and, and for me, you know, a guy that hasn't played, you know, pro ball in like four or five years, um, you know, that's kind of my uh, my season, so to speak, right? To be able to get out there and, and compete and, and keep continue to do something that I love to do and, uh, and, and still have a little bit left in the tank, you know what I mean? To, to go out there and, and hoop, so... Um, it's a special two weeks for me. It's a special two weeks for, I think, the Syracuse community. Uh, I've, I got people right now asking me, so when's, when, when are you guys doing? What, who's going to be on the team? You know, that's how special it is. To, they, they, it's like a Syracuse game for them. You know, it's like they're getting ready for the summer. Oh, the season's over for Syracuse. I, now it's Bayheim's Army time. Like, that's, that's how it is in the community here in Syracuse. And um, if you were here, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, it, it's really crazy, man. So, um, yeah, the TBT has done a great job, man, every single year. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm grateful to be a part of that and grateful to be a part of Bayheim's Army. And 
hopefully I can continue to keep doing it for a little bit longer. You know, we'll see. This year I'm going to do it. Maybe I'll have a little player coach role or something like that. But um, I got to get my recruiting game up. Yeah, yeah, we got to get you back in there. I get excited every time I see I see you in the tournament, you know, because I, I always love watching you play. Like, uh, we're from Reno, so we got to watch you play at the Big Horns a few times. Oh, yeah, here. cool, yeah. What was the protocols like being in the bubble? Because, I mean, we talked to Mo Charlo, and he was he was upset because he couldn't go see you on the other floor. So, I mean, That's how big guy. of a str- – <laughs> Yeah, so how big of a struggle was that? I mean, to just kind of be in a bubble, not be able to really – you know, go to different floors. Uh, what, what can you tell us about that? Uh, I mean, it's tough, but, you know, again, like guys who go overseas, it's the same thing. Like you're, you're in your room all day. And I remember I was in Turkey and we'd have two practices a day. We'd go in the morning, I'd go back, take a nap, and then i go back to practice and then repeat that every single day. So really it's the same thing if you're overseas, depending on what spot you're in. If you're lucky enough to get into a spot where, you know, it's a good city. Like I was in Melbourne when I was in Australia, so I could lose a lot of stuff to do. Um, but some guys get put in a place where it's nothing. You know, you're, you'll be in, uh, uh, I don't know, Slovakia or something in a little city where there's nothing going on. It's cold as hell. So um, some guys are, are uh, you know, already used to that. Uh, but TBT, they did, a, they did a good job, again, of, of just making sure everybody was safe and they tested everybody, you know, every single day. And um, I think it was cool because, you know, we got to be together as a team a little bit more. You know, we had that camaraderie, we, you know, just you know, having stories about old games, playing cards. Like, that's one of the most fun parts of the TBT, coming back with all those guys and sharing all those stories and um, just talking shit about each other. You know, that's uh, that, that's that's a pretty fun part besides, um, besides the hoop. Yeah, I just got a visual of you and Mo talking shit to each other, and it's amazing. We're gonna have to make that happen one day. <laughs> oh, it's a lot of that. Yeah, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of that going on. That's the fun part, man. Yeah, um, I wanna, I want, I wanna ask all the amazing things that you're doing for small businesses and the community, and you know, the, the coat drives. I mean, the list goes on. But can you share with our listeners what you've been doing, um, especially throughout the pandemic, in order to help out in the community? Yeah, but I mean, you know, I've been a part of Syracuse community since 2005 and they've done so much for me um, through the ups and downs. So it was only right for me to be able to give back. And, you know, we started doing stuff like coat drives, shoe drives, um, clothes drives, you know, back to school events, free haircuts, free basketball clinics, things like that. And we do that stuff every year. Uh, and then with the small business thing, I saw uh, Portnoy doing it for Barstool. Um, obviously on a larger scale. And I'm like, damn, let's, we could do this here in Cuse. You know, I'm I'm lucky enough to have a platform here in Syracuse that, you know, I can reach a lot of people and, and, and a lot of people can help me out, you know, when I put it out on social media. So that's what we did. We started to go fund me. Um, I put it out on, on social media and within two days, it was like 25,000 raised. Um, wow. And then over that, over that month, we ended up raising like 80,000 and we ended up giving that out to, to 18 different small businesses here in Syracuse. Um, so, man, it's just something I want to do. I want to help out regardless of sincerity. I, I, I went to, uh, Detroit Mercy for a year and coach there. And, you know, we did a big coat drive in Detroit. And, if, you know, if you know anything about Detroit, they really need it. Um, you know, certain areas definitely do. And um, we were able to do that and give coats back to the, the children's hospital. So I just want to do stuff that is, is going to leave an impact on people, you know, for the good, you know. And um, for me, the whole thing for the small business was um, to try to get other people to do the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, um, okay, damn, he's doing this. I could do the same thing because it's not like I'm not a celebrity or anything like that. Maybe in Syracuse, you, you could say that I am a little bit or whatever, but 
um, you know, if I could do it, why can't you do it? You know what I mean? It's just about gathering people around and, and um, when it's for a great cause, people want to help out. And that's what it is. I try to get, get ideas to where, you know, we can help kids in the community. We can help, um, you know, anyone in the community and, and make that impact. And I, the more and more I've, I've been doing stuff, the more people wanted to get on board and help out like with businesses or whatever it may be. Um, and like I said, the Syracuse um, basketball is just giving me um, that reach where I can get a hold of people who, um, you know, have the power to make things happen. And, um, man, we're going to continue to keep on doing it. You know, like we raised after the 80,000, we, we raised um, another 100,000. Um, and we're still giving that out to, to businesses right now. We just gave um, 15,000 out the other day. So um, I just want to continue to help the community that has helped me for so long and stuck behind me. And it's, it's the right thing to do. And, and I think when you do, when you do good things with a pure heart and pure intentions, things just open up, you know, other things come about, you know, other opportunities come about. People always ask me like, what are you trying to do? And I'm like, I'm just trying to help out, man. I'm just trying to help people out. Like I got my, my little basketball business. I do, I got my little podcast or whatever. Um, but I just want to help out and make an impact. You know, when, when people, you know, ask about Eric, even if I want him to stay, man, he was a good dude. He helped out. Like he helped out in the community. Um, he made sure the kids were straight, like, you know, the people who were going on the same path that he was growing up, you know, I got some, I got some tips for you, you know, for the kids and, and all that. And um, I'm fortunate enough to be in the community. Like I'm not just, I wasn't, when I went to Syracuse, I wasn't just in Syracuse. I was in the city. Like I was, I made a lot of relationships in the city. And um, you know, when you do that, you'll see how important that is to people. When you come in from the hill, they, they call it the hill, you know, down into, down to the city. Um, they really respect that and love that. And, you know, I've been here since 2005 and I get the same love like I'm playing. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's a, a big part of that is um, just being active in the community and, and doing stuff for the community because they see that. You know what I mean? And it's and it's pure. I don't care about, you know, recognition or anything. I, I put it on the news and do that so so other people can see it and they can start doing it. That's that's why I do it. That's why, you know, I try to put it out on social media so everybody can get together and help out because, that's how big things happen. Not just from me starting, it's from, you know, me putting that idea out and everybody kind of get the ball rolling. That's how you get $80,000. That's how you get $100,000. So um, I'm looking forward to continue to doing stuff here in the community and, um, and elsewhere. You know, that's a great point because a lot of people think that, you know, what could I do? But what they don't realize is, is you don't have to have a lot of money to do stuff. You know what I mean? You could be serving food at a, you know, at, a, at a, a soup kitchen. You could be helping out, passing those coats out, you know, but you said getting out there and spreading the word, maybe it's an, an infectious where more people say, hey, you know what, maybe I can do something, maybe I can help out. And you're totally right. I respect the heck out of you for doing that because I try to do that in this town, you know, where, where I live and give back and stuff. And, you know, it makes an enormous difference. You know, people, once you start educating people and, and, and getting them to understand they can make a difference, I mean, where does it stop? You know what I mean? You could just keep going on and on, which is amazing. Um, speaking of that, you have a podcast and obviously you're talking to us on our podcast. And I always yeah. feel like the podcast, you know, community, um, for a better word of it, is is a really cool community. You know, so I, I want to thank you for coming on to ours. How did you get started onto yours? Like what made you want to start a podcast and uh, what do you want our listeners to know about your podcast? Uh, yeah, it was, again, it was one of those things that just came about, you know, I had no 
clue about doing a podcast or, or talking on about anything like that. I was just doing interviews, you know, and um, Jeff Goodman and, and Rob Doster, they reached out to me who were two, um, you know, pretty big time college basketball guys. And they were, they were starting a field of 68 network where they're getting a bunch of different guys from, um, you know, different colleges around the country, former alumni, um, you know, they had Duke, Kentucky, Gonzaga, I think Dan Dickow was doing Gonzaga at Indiana. Um, Tim Miles, who's now, he just got the head coach at San Diego State. Um, so it was it was something that was new to me. Um, but all they wanted me to do was just get the guys on. And I'm friends with all these guys. Um, and so I could, I'm could i able to get them on. You know, my first guest was was Coach Beheim. You know what I mean? So uh, people uh, people struggled to get him for years, right? So I was just able to get him and then Hop and GMAC and D.C., um, and it was basically like, again, man, just me, just, we're just shooting the shit. Just, just, you know, stories about, you know, when we were playing at Q stories about coach in the locker room, like we all have, that's one of my main questions. Cause we all got stories about coach, like going back to that commonality we all have, um, you know, not a lot of universities can, you know, have those conversations because they've had, you know, five, six different coaches, you know? So, um, it's been a fun, fun ride so far, man. And, um, it's been pretty successful, I guess, you know, I, they said it's gotten a lot of downloads and views and, and things like that. Um, and again, I'm still kind of new to everything, but, um, you know, we got, we've got some ads and sponsors on and I'm just having fun with it really, you know, we're just talking basketball and, um, I love, I do radio up here for Q's like for the games and stuff. So I'm already, you know, talking ball all the time and, um, you know, love to have these guys on that are my, you know, my friends and, um, just talk about the old memories, talk about, you know, they're playing days now. I just had Michael Carter Williams on the other day, uh, who is he's an unbelievable speaker and, um, you know, just sharing about his time at Cuse. And then now, obviously, being in Orlando, um, you know, transitioning from college to the league and things like that. So, um, yeah, the Scores Table podcast, man, it's, it's been pretty cool, been a fun ride. And uh, we're going to keep it keep it going for a little bit. Awesome. Hey, we're going to do a quick lightning round with you. It's just a one or two word answer to some questions Zach's going to ask you. Zach, you ready to ask the questions, Eric? Absolutely. Uh, my first question to you is, who's your toughest cover? The one guy you couldn't figure out how to guard? Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> probably Johnny Flynn, man. He was so tough to guard. Kyle Lowry was tough. He was tough as hell to guard too, but Johnny Flynn, man, he was just I, probably because I had to go against him every single day. He was yeah. just a guy that he was. You just hope he missed that. Hope you try to give him some space. You know what I mean? But uh, Johnny Flynn was he was tough, man. Uh, who had the biggest impact on your career? Um, biggest impact probably my parents. You know, my mom, my dad. Um, they were always there for me. You know, my dad passed away like probably like six years ago, but him and my mom were always there rooting for me. And my mom, she, she didn't know anything about basketball. She just knew I played, you know what I mean? And then she, she, as you talk to her, she started to start learning the game, learn the game. So just, um, you know, having them, them there with me, always supporting me through everything. Uh, even though, even when I was a knucklehead, you know, um, they're always there for me. Sounds like my mom, man. She learned the game as I played too, for sure. No doubt. Uh, where's the Where's the spot to visit in Syracuse? I mean, where's the best food at when I go to Syracuse this summer? So you So you asking me? I'm see. I'm I eat plant based, so I'm, I'm vegan. So uh, <laughs> it's, okay. it's a little bit different, but um, <laughs> we got a lot of spots, possibilities. Um, obviously, they'll say dinosaur barbecue. Um, 
Mom's Diner. That's the top one right there. Mom's Diner. That's that's where like all the Syracuse athletes go for breakfast. Uh, Alto Cinco. That's another spot. That's a good spot. It's a lot of low key spots that you um, that you wouldn't know about. Cuse is a good is a good city, man. The downtown is picking up. Um, it's a lot of cool little spots to to go to. For sure. Uh, was there a reason that you wore number twenty three? Uh, just, I always wrote war 23, probably MJ. That was the guy, you know, Mike, Mike was my guy. I said, I talked, I told you him and AI. Um, so it was number three when I was in middle school. And then after that, it, it was, it was 23 and that's uh, what I stayed with. Okay. Uh, all the former Reno bighorns that we have on, um, they all say that they just stayed in their apartment and didn't experience the city, but I got to ask, did you get to experience the city and did you have a favorite spot in Reno or what's your favorite Reno story? One of those two. <laughs> man so i played in arena with mo mo was my guy that was my man um and then will blaylock bobby simmons yeah um antoine wright um man i can't really remember a spot we were we were in the apartment most of the time just kicking it with each other but um so we, I, I guess it's i don't know if it's a spot it's it's a strip club right it's a strip club right it was across right. from uh I guess the arena for real. I mean, it was right there. And then they had the oh, gas men's station club. right there. Men's yeah, club. right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they had the little wings in there and all that. We would just go in there and kick it. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, I guess we didn't go out a lot. You know what I mean? It, it, casino was cool. Like we were just chilling in there. I remember um, my guy, Damon Jones, we called Unk. He was, <laughs> he was in there. He's gambling. And we just be in there kicking it with him. And I remember Ray for Austin would come in there sometimes and, um, it was just cool to kick it and just, just, you know, shoot the shit with those guys. Yeah, man. I love that team. I forgot Damon Jones is on that squad. You just brought that up. A man, lot. I was talking to him the other day. He's a funny dude, man. He is a funny guy. Yeah. Yeah. We, we just, we just used to laugh with him on the bench. He seemed like he's just always cracking you guys up during the games and stuff, but, uh, yeah, he, well, he was, you know, he was on his way out then, you know what I mean? So he was just kind of enjoying the ride. Right. <laughs> uh, my final question in lightning round, uh, what's your favorite basketball memory? If you had to pick just one, I think I know the answer, but I always ask it anyway. Yeah. If I gave you any other answer, then <laughs> I'd be executed. Right. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, gotta, it's gotta be the six OT game for sure. I mean, that just sticks out of my mind like no other. Absolutely. Is there anything that you want to add or promote? Um, yeah, so I mean, just the podcast we talked about it. It's it's Scores Table podcast. You can get it on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your um, get your podcasts at. And then uh, my social media is at ed two three hoops. Um, it's on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I have my own um, you know uh, basketball training facility ed two three hoops where I do group workouts, individual team um, camps, and clinics, and all that. So check me out ed two three hoops on on any social media you got, and then. Uh, and then the podcast, the scores table, you can get that anywhere you get your podcast. That's awesome. Hey, I want to say thanks for being on the show. I really enjoy talking to you. I really enjoy hearing how much you give back. Loved hearing about the six OT game because I totally agree with you. I, that's the best college basketball game I've ever watched in my entire life. Hands down. Um, is Zach, is there anything you want to add before we let Eric out of here? Yeah, man. I just want to say thanks for your time. I mean, you're truly one of my favorite college players of all time. Loved watching you live in Reno, man. And I just really appreciate what you're doing in the community, but also for the youth. I see all the videos that you're posting during like the quarantine with the ball handling drills and just really teaching the fundamentals. And that's important. It's a lost art. And it's guys like you that are really 
not only helping the community, but also helping the youth coming up in basketball. So I, I, I respect the hell out of you for sure. Well, I appreciate you guys, man. Um, I appreciate you having me on. Um, let me share my story a little bit um, and, and much success, continued success uh, to you guys going forward with the podcast and everything else. I appreciate that. Make sure you stay safe out there. Appreciate your time. Absolutely. Take, Take care, care, guys. You too. All Thank right. you. All right. Another great episode. What a cool guy. And it was really cool. I mean, you know, obviously we're a basketball podcast. I always say we're, we're kind of a, a storytelling podcast, you know, because we really try to get to know our guests well. Um, and all basketball aside, it was really cool to hear what he does for his community and how the things that he's done in his life has shaped him to be the person that he is now. And I think that's really cool to understand, you know, he stinks positive, no matter if a bad thing happened, he is always thinking of what's the good thing that it taught me. And, uh, you know, 80,000. I mean, that's amazing. Co-drives. I mean, Detroit's a tough area, man. And, and they're trying to turn it around and to, to, to do that stuff. Not, you know, not, Forget where he came from. I think that's amazing. Just really well-spoken, good dude. It's hard not to respect a guy like that. And just for him to give back to Syracuse, his community, and also the youth, man. Like, I mean, like I said, I just really respect it. And as a coach and being around kids every day, I know how much that means to them. So to see him really going out of his way to post those videos and go out of his way to teach the game and go out of his way to help the community, it says a lot about him. And I, I just love the way he played. I always admired his his fieriness. I loved his leadership. I loved the passion he played with. And when he said AI was one of his heroes, I mean, I can see a lot of that AI mentality in him as far as like, you know, if you knock me down, I'm just coming right back at you. And I mean, it's guys like that who are going to win a six overtime game. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad he opened up about that game too, because I was, I remember watching that game and it was like one of those games, and maybe you felt the same way, I don't know. It was like one of those games you didn't want to end because it was just so exciting, and it just, the momentum and everything just kept building and building and building, and it just was like, you couldn't, I know, I mean, w when I was watching that, probably by that third overtime, I'm like, this is like seriously one of the best basketball games I've ever watched. I mean, it just, it, you couldn't write a better script. You know what I mean? I remember being up to like one in the morning, what Pacific time watching that. I, I, yeah. I'm curious how late it was when that game ended on the East coast. We got to look that up. I mean, that must've been like three, four. Well, I mean, if, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, depending on when it starts a three hour time difference. So for sure. That's why I asked him that question about, you know, how do you, how, how do you keep your mindset in a game like that? Where, cause like as fans, you don't want the game to end, but as a player, you have to be frustrated every time it goes to another overtime game, not just to be tired, but just thinking like, man, when are we going to put this game away? Yeah, that, but at the same time, it, it's got to be a lot of fun in that moment. Like, I mean, I've never been in a six overtime game. I've been in a two, three overtime game. And it, it, those are the fun ones, man. Those are the fun ones. Like in the moment, you're like, got to put them away. But at the end of the day, you're just like, man, that was fun. We were hooping. I think it's one of those things that you look back on in your career and realize like, wow, what an amazing game that was. You know what I mean? But I can't see being excited about playing the six overtime game. I'd be like, can somebody just make a basket so we can win? Oh, and a quick disclaimer, I don't go to the men's club. <laughs> it was just very obvious what one he was talking about when he said it was near near the near the arena. That's so yeah, mean. I, I heard they got great wings though. So he's not lying when he talks no, about well, the wings. I had a friend of mine back in the day that was an executive chef there and he owns his own, he owns his own uh, 
restaurant in Oregon, Black okay. Trumpet Bistro. And and the, the pictures that I see on social media look, his food looks amazing. Like I need to get up there for sure. Um, quick plug, right? But uh, but yeah, their food's no joke, supposedly. I just Yeah. I mean I know people my... who go I know people who go there just for the food, honestly. Yeah. Like it's right. good stuff. I, I don't know if you know this, but we charted in Vietnam this week now. What? Really? Yeah. Right. So add add Vietnam to the sixteen uh, places we have charted. Seventeen over... now. Yeah. Well, yeah, add Vietnam to 16, 16 plus 1, 17. Um, <laughs> That's right. It's, that it is. <laughs> um, yeah, it's amazing. We were like, uh, we were in top five in, in in basketball. And then the Kane Ma episode was number two downloaded. Right. Hell yeah. Yeah, which is really cool. It's nice to see that, you know, it's just nice to see that stuff happening. And it's all because of you guys. So thanks so much. You know, it's the same spiel every time you know that. But if you're a new listener, you know, we appreciate you finding us and uh, go back and listen to some other episodes. We've had, you know, Hall of Famers on six men of the year. Um, we've had, uh, oh, man, all star players that played in all star games. I and mean, we've had a lot of great players. I mean, Oscar Smith, Gina Raja. We've had best selling New York Times authors. We've had GMs of, of uh, the TBT. Heisman Trophy winner, Charlie Ward. We've had a lot of great people on. It's because of you guys. So thank you so much for uh, checking us out and spreading the word. Anything on social media always helps us for sure, especially giving us reviews on Apple. Um, whether you listen to us on Apple or Spotify, wherever you do, we're, we greatly appreciate you doing that. We really do appreciate it. Zach, is there anything you want to add before we get out of here? Just a big thanks to Mr. Devendorf, man. Just loved hearing his story. Loved hearing about everything that he's continuing to do after basketball. I think that's a big. Th- I think that's what I love most about this podcast is what we learn about all the great things these guys are doing after basketball and what he's doing is really moving, man. So much love to him. Yeah, I completely agree with you, um, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you stay safe. I thought be good to each other. 